0: Maybe you've picked up a little bit of a theme today, uh, particularly as we just sang when trials come, no longer fear, for in the pain our God draws near. Some of you, I know, are going through some very difficult trials. Some of you have been through some difficult trials in recent years. And maybe, maybe you're seeing a little bit of, of light after having been in the middle of those trials. And I have to say, some of you are going to enter into trials Because that's what happens in this life as we live in a fallen world. I wish I could tell you otherwise. At least part of me wishes that. And yet, today, we're going to see where, where does God fit into all of this? What in the world is going on? When I'm in the middle of these things and and facing these things, is my only hope that eventually they'll be over because I'll go on to heaven? Or is, is there hope for now, for endurance, even in the middle of these? I began this series on the book of Acts, which we have called The Empowered Church. I began it in April of 2012. Now, we are on uh, the 49th sermon from the book of Acts. And uh, speaking of light at the end of the tunnel, we will finish by early summer. Okay? So hang in there. We've called it the Empowered Church because what we have seen is how... God, through the Lord Jesus, through the apostles, established his church. And the way he did it was through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so things that they faced were with the power of the Holy Spirit. The church had victories, all of which were through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so some have called the book of Acts a record of the acts of the Holy Spirit. That wouldn't be a wrong title if you want to label it differently. But because we're on the uh, 49th, you realize, if you realize how many Sundays there are in a year, that uh, we've taken some breaks and we've done that for things like, Easter and Missions Conference and, of course, Advent for a a couple of years. And so this is our first message back after Advent. So let me just remind you where we've been. And for those of you that are are new here today, we're glad that you're here. Just jump right in and uh, let me try to catch us up with, with what's going on and what's about to happen here Uh, we see uh, where we are in the book is uh, in the latter phase of Paul's ministry and his life being here in the latter part of the book. He had completed three missionary journeys, and what he would do with a missionary journey, uh, uh, oftentimes in the first or second Journey. He would plant a church and then he would come back through and he would disciple them. Some of them he stayed a a brief time. Some of them he stayed for a long period of time. Almost everywhere he went, there was trouble. And that's what we're coming off of here and going into really for the rest of Paul's life. Because at this point in the book... Against the advice of some that were concerned for his safety, he was convinced that God wanted him to go to Jerusalem. They were concerned for his safety, and rightfully so. When he got there, there was trouble. He spoke to crowds of people, and especially those religious-type people. He shared the gospel with them. At one point, there's a near uh, riot. He is uh, seized, and it's only the uh, Roman soldiers that come in, and they save him. And then he says, can I address these people? And he addresses them. Uh, He shows basically that, uh, you know, he's an educated Jew and so on as he addresses them. Uh, But then he mentions the Gentiles and God's plan for the Gentiles, and they didn't like that. And so a, a big controversy uh, comes again, and I don't know if I can think of a, of, you know, it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're they're about to come to blows. I can't, in my mind, think of maybe a sillier sight than a bunch of religious old men, you know, about to get really mad uh, and and fight with one another. And so what happens is, He's plucked out of that situation and for his own safety put in prison. And then we pick up with verse 11 of Acts 23. The following night, he's in prison, remember. The Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify also in Rome. Now, I don't know about your Bibles. Mine has uh, that in red letters. Now, I want to tell you, red letters were not inspired by God when it was written in the Hebrew era. There weren't red letters, and in the Greek, there weren't red letters and so on, but... uh, The reason they have red letters is to indicate that these are the words of Jesus. And that's accurate. So here he is in in a prison cell. And this is how we ended our last message before we went into Advent. And he had actually messed up. He had disrespected the high priest and kind of apologized for it. You may remember that. So he may have been wondering, well, what's, what's going to happen now? What's the Lord going to do with, a, you know, somebody like me who messes up like that? And it says the Lord stood by him and told him this. Verse 12, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we've strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we're ready to kill him before he comes near. Now, the son of Paul's sister, that's going to be his nephew, heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. Verse 19, the tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? He said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though you were going to inquire uh, somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they're ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him. Tell no one what you have, that you have informed me of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Lord, we ask in these moments... For you to use your word and by your spirit and bring us your comfort. There are people here really in need of that today. You know that. Speak to us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have... Paul in the middle of a trial. If you didn't follow exactly what was going on, don't worry. We're going to go back and, and uh, look at it and try to try to discern what was going on in the foreground and also in, in the background. Uh, here's where I want us to start, though. And that is really with the last verse of the previous passage that we had dealt with. And that is verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Here's what we need to know. Sometimes, even in the middle of trials, sometimes God speaks loudly. And that's what he did here. He, he stood by Paul. This is huge. Here he is uh, in, in, in prison wondering, what's my fate? Where are things going from here? And it says very simply, the Lord stood by him. And then he had the message for him. Now look closely at that verse. He doesn't say, I'm hoping you'll go to Rome, or you ought to go to Rome. I wish you'd go to Rome. He says, you must testify also in Rome. Now, that word is used elsewhere. It's used elsewhere in Uh, The book of Acts, and where it is used, it is, this is what is going to happen. It's not a, you really got to, you really, really got to do that. It's saying, this is actually what's going to take place. Uh, Over in, um, you can see it in, in 1921, but also 27 verse 24 It says, uh, and he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Here he's in another trial. We'll see that later on. But look what it did for his faith. Verse 25. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. He understood that when uh, the, the king of the universe says to you, it. this must take place, that it's actually going to take place. So if he was wondering, is he ever going to make it out of that jail cell that night, it was answered right there. God was speaking loudly to him. Now, I have to tell you this. That's a rare thing. Sorry. I know know some of you were thinking, okay, well, if God would just speak loudly to me, I would know exactly what to do and how to handle. And if he would just say, you must do this, then I would know what direction to go. Of course, one of the things we are ignoring when we we say that is we are ignoring that God has already spoken loudly to us. That's how we understand the Word of God, that He has spoken and He not only spoke, He preserved it for us so that we could hear him again and again and again. So we've got to start there. You might say, well, you know what? Yeah, okay, yeah, I get that. But, you know, reading the Bible, that doesn't tell me where I need to go to college. That doesn't tell me which job I need to take. That doesn't tell me who I'm supposed to marry Again, here's the problem with looking at it in that way. I heard, heard someone say, you know, God has revealed to us 90% of his will. We can understand it because of the, the Bible. But we spend all of our time trying to figure out the 10% that is his secret will. Dwelling upon that which we, we don't necessarily have those specific answers to. So here's the thing. Here's how he has spoken loudly. <clears throat> in all of those areas that I've just told you and in any area that you have, have to face, he's given us parameters. He has told us his will. He has told us the things we ought to pursue and the things we ought not to pursue. And so that's where we begin. And then at some point, it does become a step of faith as we step into that 10% where we can't get the specifics from the Word of God. So sometimes he speaks loudly, but I don't want all your hope on that because in your case, other than the Word of God, he may not show up in the cell that you are in like he did with the Apostle Paul. And so then what? Then what do we need to know and what can we see from this passage? Well, this isn't the greatest news, but let, let me just tell you how sometimes he works. Sometimes God says little or nothing when you, when you are in a trial. Sometimes... We don't hear a whole lot. And you might say, well, is that just because I'm not, I'm not holy or I'm not a chosen one or something like that? No. This, that's what happened with Paul most of the time. In fact, if you look at chapter 23 as a whole, we see very little by way of, of him showing himself. This chapter, and and here's basically what we read a moment ago, it talks about a conspiracy against Paul. He was attacked by this mob and almost killed, taken into Roman custody. Uh, Now, uh, most would think that he was safe. Well, there were men in the city known as zealots. And these zealots uh, were determined that they didn't want Paul to escape. Now, the zealots are, they would be basically the, the equivalent in our day of terrorists because they would do anything to get their way. In, in their day, they were trying to shake off Roman rule. And so, basically, you've got this uh, terrorist cell there in Jerusalem of 40 who got together And they said, okay, we got to get rid of Paul. And they took a vow. And they said, okay, let's not eat or drink until we kill Paul. By the way, that wasn't a very smart vow. Be careful with your vows, okay? (laughs) Because... So far as I know, they're still not eating or drinking, okay? In fact, I'm pretty sure they're not eating or drinking at this point. All right, so here's here's what happened. Uh, Verse 14, they went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we're ready to kill him. Now, look what happened here. This, this is almost, it's almost thrown in from, where'd this come from? Verse 16. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Now, I, I'm telling you this for one reason. So, Paul hears about the assassination. That he's, you know, there are these 40 zealots who were fearsome people. He knew that. And they have vowed that they're going to kill him. And he gets told about it. He knows about that. What do you think Paul might have thought? What could have been his reaction could he have been disappointed at that point and said oh no not how's this going to work maybe he would have thought you know what this would be a, a good time for jesus to come back into my cell and tell me it's going to be okay and we're going to we're going to go all the way to rome and and you know what he heard that's what he heard heard nothing and the silence was deafening the apostle Paul at this point heard nothing from God where was his God where was his comfort where were the words to comfort him now that's not new You might say, well, maybe Paul is being punished at this point. That's not a new experience among God's people. All you got to do is look in the Psalms. I'll I'll just give you one example in Psalm 13. Here's what the psalmist says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You know, he's saying, they're winning. What's going on here, Lord? Consider and answer me, O Lord. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Unless my enemy says, I prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. So, so here's the psalmist saying, how long is this going to go on? I'm not hearing a thing from you. But listen to where the psalmist ends up right after that. You're going to think it sounds out of place. Because we don't see any transition. Right after he says, you know, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart. Shall rejoice in your salvation, I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. How could he get from those first four verses to verses five and six? Well, I'll tell you this much. He didn't decide what kind of a God God was in the middle of silence. He didn't decide in the middle of that trial that God is good and he's been bountiful to me and I will sing praise to him. Because that's not when you decide. If you decide what God's like in the middle of a trial, you're going to say, he's he's pretty crummy. He's not very nice. So don't decide what God is like when you're in the middle of a trial. What the psalmist Evidently, what he must have done is, before he ever got into this period of silence, he had decided what God was like. He had already decided that God's love was steadfast, that his salvation was great, and he had decided that he was worthy of praise. But he had done that, before he got into this time of silence. So, you, if you're at that point, what are we to think when we hear nothing? When we're in a trial or feeling attacked by the evil one? Is God silent because he doesn't care? Is he silent because he doesn't know what's going on? Or is he silent because he knows what's going on, but he can't do anything about it? Is that why God is silent? What's going on when God is silent? Well, let's look in this passage and see what was going on when he was silent with Paul. And you see the third point in the outline. Always... God is working. Okay? You can't always hear him working. And he's not always going to say, I'm working. But always, God is working. Look at this passage. We see Paul's nephew, verse 16. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told paul what <laughs> who is this guy, and where did he come from we We know hardly anything about paul 's family, and yet here all of a sudden we we don 't hear anything about his sister you know his his nephew or anything like that and And now here there's a plot going on. And this nephew that we know nothing about is close enough. Either he was in the meeting or he was close enough to hear all about this plot that was going on. How did that happen? Wasn't that Paul's lucky day? You know what? To believe that was Paul's lucky day takes more faith than to believe that there's one who is there working and who has a plan and when he says this must take place it's going to take place so god and we can speculate all day about how this nephew got there there there's some very good human reasons for him being there he might have been studying and, and you know there in jerusalem to be around the religious people any of those things but you know what it doesn't really matter because the bottom line is God wanted him there and God put him there. And you know what? We don't even know if he was a believer. That's even more encouraging to me. That God's will shall be done and he will use whatever and whoever he wants to get it done. So here we have this nephew who tells Paul? Paul says, "Well, I, you know, maybe if I tell the soldiers and uh, something, and and so the plot comes out. The soldiers, I don't know why, other than got you know, he must go to Rome. Soldier didn't know that, but they had determined we we don't want him assassinated here in our city on our watch." And here's what we know. God was at work. And he can use individuals to accomplish his work even when those individuals don't know they're being used by God. Look what else he uses. He uses the government. What? Paul finds out about the plot. He asks the guard to take his nephew to the commander. The commander listens to the young men. We didn't read this part, but if you... uh, uh, this afternoon or sometime, if you go ahead and uh, read from 23, ver, uh, in chapter 23, verse 23 on, what happens is that, uh, uh, well, let me read verse 23. Then he, uh, he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready, 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Now, that's a lot of people. <laughs> and they gave Paul a mount. So here's Paul. on a You know, he'd been in prison. He's on a horse in the middle of these 200 horsemen and spearmen and all these, you know, and they're tritzling out of town, okay? And I have to wonder what those 40 zealots thought. He must be really important, huh? Look at this. But you know what? We don't see anything about a battle or a confrontation. They were hidden. Because even though the 40 Zealots might have been fierce, they they couldn't have possibly done anything against this this army. Now, I got to tell you, God could have put 10,000 angels around Paul. And you know what? They might have been there. But he saw fit to also have all these human soldiers and horses and everything uh, around as a testimony. So here is this government, this Roman government that is oppressive. They don't like Christians. They don't like Jews. They don't like anybody but themselves. And they're they're escorting the Apostle Paul one step closer to Rome because God said you must testify in Rome. That's what happened. You know what this reminded me of? We've uh, we've got a a retired Army chaplain here in our uh, congregation, Mike Hardiman. And... He was paid by the government. He's lieutenant colonel, chaplain. Paid by the government. And before Christmas, uh, he was presenting on a Wednesday night, and he showed us a picture of this chapel in the middle of a Muslim country with a cross on it. In other words, he was where mission to the world missionaries can't go. You know how he got there? Well, it was kind of like Paul. You know, he had this big army around him. <laughs> he went on the, the dollars of our government that were, you know, taxpayers and so on. And he was protected by this army so that he could preach the gospel there in that country. God can do that. We heard today about over in Ukraine. The, the government there that is anything but pro-life... They are far from that. And yet, they permit that message in the public universities and public schools. Why do you think that is? Because God can use governments too. He can use whoever he wants. And he's at work. 20 years before this account... God had said that Paul would carry the name of Jesus before Gentiles and kings. We saw that earlier in the book of Acts. Up until this point, he had not had the opportunity to carry it before Gentiles and kings in the same way. Now he was a prisoner and he was about to testify to some kings. See, that's not the way we would have planned it, is it? But his plan is always better. Going to prison, I'm sure the Christian said, "Oh well, that's the end of Paul's ministry." We're about to see him five years in prison, and it's during that time that he's going to be talking to the kings and testifying for Christ. Here's some principles. God often works in the background when you don't hear or see God, it doesn't mean that he's not working. And when you don't hear God, you have to remember what he's already said. Remember he said to Paul, take courage, courage, I'm going to use you. Maybe you're at the point of not hearing God. Maybe you're going through some dark times. Sometimes during those times, it's even hard to remember what we do know about what he's already said. I want to remind you of a few of those. Let's bow our heads and let me let you listen to what God has said. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. Be strong and courageous. God said, do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. When you shall call and the Lord will answer, you shall cry, and he will say, here I am. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. Thank you, Lord, that whatever is going on in our life, whether we're coming out of a dark time or entering into one, thank you that for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ alone, they are never alone. Will you give us faith to believe that? Will you give us your comfort when we're having a hard time hearing what you're saying? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.